Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And we're very happy today to be joined by a special guest, my friend Eric Como. Hi, Eric. Hi. Hi, Eric. Welcome. Where are you joining us from today? I am joining you from Roseville, Minnesota. Nice. Eric and I went to NYU together. He was a singer, I was a composer, and I played piano for a lot of his voice lessons and for his master's recital. He was my like go-to person to talk about parenthood with while the show was on. <laughs> Eric, can you tell us a little bit about what your history with the show is? I mean, I gave a little bit of it away already, but like, you did you watch it as it aired? Yeah, I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe I, I was behind maybe like two seasons uh, at the beginning. So I had to catch up. And then uh, I believe I got caught up in season three. And then, yeah, I became one of those like cable TV people that was just like <laughs> <laughs> waiting, waiting to watch it live and trying to figure out how I could how I could watch it. One of my favorite memories of Parenthood with you is that I watched the series finale at your apartment in New York. Mm. Yeah, it was very special. I feel like that's a that's a moment in not only in the show's history, but also like if you were if you were an avid fan and a and a and someone who is who is watching it for many seasons, it was like a momentous thing in in your life. It was like this you know cathartic show, and therefore to watch it end was also it was very moving. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about Team Como, what your family is like? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Minnesota here, just about an hour and 15 minutes north of where I am now um, in St. Cloud, Minnesota. My parents have been together since sophomore year of high school. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they have been in St. Cloud, Minnesota their whole life. And they had my sister who is three years older than I am. And we grew up there. Yeah, it was a, it was a great place to grow up and very uh, accepting family. Went to college just about 15 minutes from there uh, for my undergraduate and then went to New York uh, to do my master's and met my husband Aaron there. And we moved back here to Minnesota because of a job that he took here uh, at a local theater. And now we're just, we're here and we're closer to my family. And it means that we can, you know, be there for the birthdays and for the Braverman-esque gatherings. <laughs> Although none of ours are lit as well as that like beautiful backyard. Right? Yes, like, it's epic. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that his job was the reason you went back, but I take it you were, you were happy to go back. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we, like we had discussed maybe four or five months prior to him taking the job that like, maybe we'd just try a new city. 
we didn't want to leave New York thinking like, oh, we hate New York. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to leave with like a mood of we love New York, but we're ready for something new. And then, yeah, it just ended up being we were home for a wedding and he we ran into like a friend of mine from college and suddenly like the wheels started turning of getting a job here and um, it just happened. Oh, that's so nice. And not that I'm any sort of expert. I think I've been to Minnesota like twice, but both trips were so lovely, like really friendly and so much to do and great food. I have such a nice impression of, I can see why someone would want to make a home there. Right. You didn't come in the winter, I I suspect. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I was was in Minneapolis for a week on tour in 2016 and it was June and I loved it. And I remember thinking, I need to come back here in like January (laughs) so that I'm not tempted to move here because that's how much I loved it. It seems like a really cool city. And in June, it's really beautiful. (laughs) It is beautiful. It's beautiful every season. I believe you get used to it. I mean, if my husband from Hawaii can get used to it, anyone can. And yeah, it's just like a, a... group of very lovely people. And um, yeah, we have a lot of work to do just like any other place in the world, but it's lovely. There's a lot of people that are looking to do do their best and do right by other people. So it's a good, good spot. Not so different from Berkeley. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice transition. Thank you, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 1, Episode 4, What's up? Did I pull that off? (laughs) It's hard. Um, It was directed by Michael Engler and written by Tyler Bensinger. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Apologies, Tyler, if I'm not. And here is the NBC synopsis. Adam and Christina use questionable tactics to find out about Hattie's secret relationship. Sarah doesn't know how to talk to Drew when he starts showing signs of becoming a man. Meanwhile, Jabbar has a little accident while under Crosby's watch, and Julia and Joel are hesitant to let Amber babysit for them. So this episode begins with a close-up of a bong. Pretty edgy. (laughs) And then random panties in Crosby's houseboat. He's not ready to be a father. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That was my immediate impression. My immediate impression, sorry, I cut you off. Your immediate impression of, (laughs) well, okay. So my immediate impression was that my favorite band is playing during that opening scene. So I was not even really paying attention to the bong or the panties. That's the eels. Hey, look what I knew. Yeah, and I was very excited to hear them, of course, but I was a little disappointed that they don't get one of those epic montages that ends the the episode. I'm like, oh, they're in the background because I knew they were going to be in an episode and I did. Yeah, anyway, so I'm like, you barely notice. You're too busy looking at the bong and the panties. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing that I really, that really piqued my interest in this episode was this question asked by Christina. Honey, does Crosby know that I know about Jabbar? I think he assumes I tell you everything. Why would he assume that? He hasn't even told Katie he has a son yet. Well, I think Crosby assumes I'm not like him. Mm -hmm. I think Crosby assumes correctly, which is why... But since I'm on with two married people, I wanted to know, do you guys tell your spouse everything that's told to you? Or, or like, at least consider it in bounds for them to know? Like, 
Like, do you think it's a reasonable assumption that if you tell a married person something, they're going to share it with their spouse? Or do you think, nope, privacy means I don't even tell my spouse? Oh, I I know for sure what I do, which is like, I tell him everything. <laughs> like, I, I don't hold anything back. I think my reasoning for that, though, or why I feel like I do that is because I feel like I have to. I feel like he's like the person that I go to for anything like that. And so if, if it's something really weighty, like Adam is going through and, and is holding on to, I can see why he would divulge that. You just said that so well, because I was thinking oh no, my answer is yes. I tell Mark everything and maybe I shouldn't. You know, like Mm. maybe when people tell me something in confidence, I'm not supposed to just run and tell him. But I, somehow it doesn't feel like gossip when it's him because yeah, it helps me kind of figure out Maybe how to like be a better friend to the person, what to say, you know, just to have a sounding board. And I know Mark's not going to tell anyone else, but it is weird. Somebody confided in me and not him. Should I feel bad about that? But I don't know. The way you said it makes me think, no, I shouldn't feel bad. That was a beautiful answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to know what you guys said about it. Speaking as the single person, I would say that if I tell a married friend something, I think I do kind of assume that their spouse is going to hear about it. I mean, because at least according to the wisdom of the Spice Girls, two become one (laughs) means that, you know, you share with one, you share with Mm. both. I mean, I suppose... Maybe there would be some instance in which I would specifically ask a person, don't even tell your mm. spouse. But I, don't, mm. I, I can't imagine what that would be unless it was about the spouse. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when I would be gossiping about a person to their spouse. Uh, so <laughs> so I kinda, I'm kind of on the same page as both of you. I was just curious to know where you guys stood. Set your feelings free. It's the only way to be. Love it. Bumper sticker. (laughs) Well, Adam and Christina discover that Hattie has been calling some number a lot. And um, when when they call this number to find out who it is, they encounter this voicemail. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? And being these sheltered, white, privileged people, <laughs> they think, oh, no, the apocalypse is upon us. And they break into Hattie's room and hack into her computer to find out who this person is. I mean, in fairness, I guess they call Hattie and let it ring like three times before Adam <laughs> goes, she's not answering. We must resort to something else. So, OK, opinions on the ethics of them going into her room and also like. I mean, we are assuming everyone watched the episode, but on the off chance that you didn't, it's not like her computer was sitting open to Facebook. No. They opened up her laptop, sought assistance from Crosby to help guess her password until they could get in, and then looked at her Facebook page. And everybody's okay with this? I don't think that's okay. I also was just... It sounds so dumb because, like, obviously then there'd be no story. But I was curious, like, why aren't they just Facebook friends with her? Um, you know, I, I I don't know. Or why would This was you just... 2010. I guess that that's... makes any difference. I don't know if it does, but. I guess so. Facebook had still been around a couple years, but yeah, maybe it was. The real time difference is probably that Hattie wouldn't be on Facebook now. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> not a good cool point. for the teenagers. Or they know. are on Facebook just to be friends with their family and they actually interact with their friends on other social media platforms. That's probably true. Anyway, continue your point. Well, I think that was kind of it. I mean, I kept a journal all growing up and I still do. How 19th century of you. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I do it, just to be, you know, obscure and charming. Um, I don't know. But I wanted or I never wanted anyone to read it. And but I didn't want to be secretive about it. And my mom, when I was growing up, knew I had a journal. And my husband now, the person I live with now, knows I have a journal. And I trust both of them not to read it. And I leave it everywhere. You know, I just I don't hide it. It's on the table closed. And I don't think either one of them ever did or has. And that means a lot to me. And uh, I don't know. I, I actually thought that Hattie was kind of in the right the whole episode. Um, perhaps exaggerating because she's a teenager and she said it in the most dramatic way possible. But I don't know. I kind of thought she was right. But I'm curious. What did you guys think? I feel like I don't have a have a good understanding of this because I was like too much of a goody two shoes when I was younger <laughs> to like understand this sort of like keep a big secret from my parents type of thing. And I even, while watching the episode again, I even had the thought, like, do we believe that Adam and Christina wouldn't know? Like, this is Mm. their first awareness. But then I had the thought of, like, as we also know, they have so much going on and they could be a little bit distracted. Mm. And so I, I, that was where my mind went was like, is this practical? Yes. And so therefore, because they have sort of been aloof to it, they felt the need to like right away get back on track. And so it was like, what's the quickest, what's the quickest route back to the truth? And it was like to get into this computer. That's a good point. I'm not entirely opposed to them or to, to abstract this a little bit. I'm not entirely opposed to parents invading their children's privacy in the event that they think there's something they need to know. But in this case, it was like they didn't even ask her about it first. Yeah, which seems like a weird Braverman choice, right? They like, yeah, they talk a lot. Like, <laughs> why didn't you have the talk? Yeah, yeah, wait for her to lie about it before <laughs> you resort to subterfuge. Like, <laughs> but it just seemed like, well, she didn't answer the phone and there's a scary voicemail. We have to break in. Like, what? I mean, I'm sure we're going to get there. But like, if Adam can have some of the conversations he did with Drew, yeah. certainly he can have a conversation with his own <laughs> daughter about yeah. a, a number that he's, that she's calling. I mean, and at that point, they don't even know that she has a boyfriend. It is just a phone issue. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like, ask her, hey, who have you been calling so much? Why is that so? And then even when we do see them having it, it's very, uh, there. It, it feels like they're attacking her a little bit. Like, yeah. you've been, that you've been over a thousand minutes. That's more than 18 hours. And it's like, back off. Ask the question first. Yes. What's she supposed to react like? You guys broke into my room and you hacked into my computer? Wait a second, miss. You have no right to get angry with us. You have been going out with this boy for over a month without telling us. Okay, who cares? Homeland Security? What you guys did is illegal. You can't do that. It's a violation of everything. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, what? You're Facebook official. Uh, Right. 
That's right. You, you go up to your room because you're grounded. Grounded. Jawohl, mein Führer. So yeah, maybe a little extreme, but I, I also I thought the best the best thing I think Adam and Christina actually have on their side, which he mentions, is your Facebook official. And I do kind of feel like does Hattie have an expectation of privacy when she has shared this on the internet for the whole mm-hmm. world to see? That just kind of weird generational thing of like I want my privacy, but I want I want my friends to know about it. That aside, yeah, it just seems like they they went right to ten. <laughs> and just mm-hmm. skipped every number before. I guess, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm guessing it probably would hurt me if my teenage child was in a relationship for a month and had said nothing about it to me. But, you know, then again, to skip around a bit, but at the end of the episode, when Hattie and Christina have that beautiful talk, the way they relate to each other is just like textbook definition of the way you want a parent and a child to relate to each other. And I'm like, I think they probably could have gotten there without going through all the subterfuge first, you know? And and so it, it makes me wonder, like, why didn't they just try to talk to her first? Because look at how, you know, Hattie has proven herself over these first few episodes to be incredibly... Uh, perceptive and kind and empathetic, you know, with Max and everything. And maybe connected to a good drug dealer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's true. She's also proven that, (laughs) but I don't know, maybe she just wanted something of her own, you know, while the whole family is so, you know, obviously preoccupied with what's going on with Max and maybe she just wanted some independence. Well, and she mentions they've only been going out a month. I think even a 15-year-old deserves some time sort of alone to just figure out what the relationship is and and what it's like. I mean, obviously you need to be honest with your parents, but it's not like her parents, as far as we know, ever asked her, do you have a boyfriend? And she lied. Right. Oh, that's and a I technicality. And I don't necessarily get the sense that she was going to keep hiding it from them for a really long time. It's like she's still figuring things out. Let her figure it out. Give her some space. I don't know. But a month is a long time when you're in high school. Like that is a long relationship. I'm serious. I had That's two true. relationships when I was in high school and neither one lasted more than a month. And I felt like those were significant relationships at the time. <laughs> okay, point taken. There's that. <laughs> I did think there was a little interesting parallel in Hattie going to Amber for advice on how to handle the situation. Mm. and Adam going to Sarah for advice on how to handle the situation. And uh, on kind of a separate note, I felt like Adam's scene with Sarah maybe had a little heat going on in it. A little (laughs) bit of... We're it's, going been a while, it's been a while <laughs> since we had the other indication, so we're still feeling it out. But I feel like they did have a little, a little chemistry A little chemistry. There. But in all seriousness, the, um, I mean, I don't think the advice either of them gave was particularly good. But Sarah's especially... It's right around the corner, and you have to do everything you can to postpone it. Do you know how to do that? No, what do you suggest? Oh my God, you have to shut them down. No right. phone, no email, okay. no computer, right. no texting, right. no leaving the house, no nothing. And then when that fails, you just go to plan B. Which is what? Move. <laughs> Which is funny. And she knew it was funny. But still, it was, I get where she's coming from, I think. And 
Yes, I'm not a parent. You you said that, Melissa, and that's I should keep that in mind. <laughs> and they are like 15. That that's young. But it just feels like they're approaching it, both of them, from a very combative place, as if each other is the enemy. And like Eric, like you said, I feel like the Bravermans have not been set up to have that, those kinds of relationships. It's like I don't I don't think Hattie views her parents as the enemy, and I don't think they view her as the enemy. So why are they all like coming up with these battle strategies to right. handle each other? It's like let's just talk. I also get a sense that this is tell me if you feel the same way. But I also get a sense that some of this type of crisis that is in these first few episodes is sort of coming from a place of the show being very young and Mm. creating crisis and how to create crisis and how to keep us as viewers feeling like the, the crisis is big enough, right? Like at times, I feel like there are viewers out there that if you just told someone that this is just a regular old family living regular old dramas within their family, some people start to tune out. Mm. And so therefore, maybe it's, it's heightened because of that that reason because as we know as this show progresses we certainly don't have these types of feelings about the crisis that happened so we don't we don't necessarily feel like they are blown out of proportion or that they they don't match up with the characters things like that so it it might just simply be the show kind of finding its footing and how to create that crisis i think that's a very valid point Yeah, I I like that because really it is just such terrible advice, (laughs) but maybe it's much more entertaining to be given that advice than, you know, it's all about building trust. It's all about, you know, meeting them where they are. (laughs) Like maybe people will be like, yawn, boring. Watching them rationally (laughs) handle this conflict. I wrote down at one point, it's like the whole Adam, Christina, Hattie situation feels like it escalates unnecessarily swiftly. Where's the communication between parents and child? Ask her about the minutes. Respect her privacy about having a boyfriend. Hattie, don't sneak out when they're upset at you. Like, did she think that, oh, they won't be mad about this. This will help calm things down. Like, But she's not trying to calm things down. She's just pissed. She's trying to punish true. them. Yes, no. I absolutely love that scene <laughs> where Max is sitting <laughs> in the kitchen and he he doesn't look up at them, but they keep saying like she's in her room, and he's like, no, she isn't. And they're like, yes, she is, and she, he's like, no, she isn't. He he just it's so innocent, but also he knows more than them at that moment, which is hilarious. And I love that he, you know, of course he's so literal. Like it doesn't occur to him to go downstairs and tell them right when she sneaks out. Of it's not, not until he's asked yeah. a direct question about her, yeah. like, you know, please go get her. Then he's like, Oh, I can't. And so, yeah, the reveal is too perfect. <laughs> he's not trying to get her into trouble. He's just stating facts. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing kind of reminded me of the idiot plot I don't know if you guys are familiar with this trope. This is, I think this is Roger Ebert's definition. The idiot plot, of course, is any plot that would be resolved in five minutes if everyone in the story (laughs) were not an idiot. And I'm not sure if it fits exactly in this situation, but I think it does. Like, it just seems like if any one of these three people, Hattie, Adam, or Christina, 
just kind of took a minute and thought about it. I think they would make smarter decisions. And by the end of the episode, I was like, oh, if only someone had seen this coming. Like, perhaps... Honey, wait a second. What? I just think that we should let her explain herself before breaking into her room. I... Well, wait, wait a minute. Her room is in our house, so technically we're not breaking into anything. She's 15 years old. Besides, which doesn't know won't hurt her. Right. Just us. <laughs> it's like she's freaking Cassandra. She sees it all coming. It was like everything she said came to pass. Let her explain it first. If we, what she doesn't know will hurt us. It's like, yep, yep, right on all counts. Okay, I that makes me uh, think of a point that I made about Christina um, in the last episode and in this one. It seems like a pretty progressive show for the most part. And, you know, women are valued, respected. You know, I mean, Joel's a stay-at-home dad and Julia's the powerful lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. But something that I've noticed Christina does is she defers to Adam a lot. Like last episode at the end with the pool scene when Footpath calls, even though she is holding the phone and Adam is in the pool, she's like... You have to come out and answer the phone. I was I like, that why was don't... so weird. It was so that's weird. I'm like, so, just that's answer so the me though. I do that. really, yeah. really. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Actually, I have to admit, I do that too. I defer to Mark, even though I'm such a feminist and he would never want me to do it. I just sort of do. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's because I'm indecisive and he's very decisive. Yeah, like, so a contra- maybe... like a contractor shows up to the house and it's like, I hide and goes to the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Someone came by yesterday just to like see if our trees were by the power lines. And I was like, Mark's not home. Can I even handle this? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Um, but yeah. And then in this episode, she makes Adam call the number. You know, she's like, you call. She puts the phone in his hand, um, even though she was previously like holding it, you know, and, and she, she just kind of wants him to be in charge man of the house she's just as capable and as intuitive and as you just proved more so (laughs) like her ideas are sometimes better but i don't know kind of she defers to him although that may have been i think part of the whole engine of this story is that adam specifically was freaking out that's true he was kind of letting his Mm -hmm. panic run away i mean look at this like this episode title right like this is sort of all about him and about his fatherly instinct which you know christina touches on with hattie in that final conversation when my father found out that i was dating he nearly had a heart attack i mean how old were you oh 16 trevor dunn he wore a puka shell necklace he was real tan okay um did your dad nail your window shut Honey, my dad was nothing like yours. Trust me. Melissa, you already made great points about the good communication that they seem to have, which I totally echo. It does make me think that perhaps she and Hattie have a more honest relationship than Hattie and Adam do. Mm. You know, Adam is like touched to find out that her password when she was 12 (laughs) was Hattie Daddy. It's like, but now she's not 12. Now she's 15 and things change. Now she's Hattie Ho. Now she's Hattie Ho. she's Hattie Ho. Yeah, but that Christina, her eyes are a little more open about who Hattie actually is. And she doesn't judge her for that. Maybe because she was a teenage girl, too. Speaking of her eyes, it's like the first glimmer of the magic of Monica Potter, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And just hearing that little line in, I think, the pilot episode, Melissa and I were like, we're going to be on the lookout for any information about these in-laws' families, like, 
where did they come from? They've just been subsumed by the Bravermans. <laughs> yeah. But here there was a little glimpse of, you know, she mentions her dad. And I think if you were just to look at that line written out, my father was nothing like your father. It doesn't give you all that much information. But then when you couple it with what she, you know, breathes into it as an actor, yeah, then I feel like it speaks volumes of like, oh, What's going on there? I found that one of the most intriguing moments because it really seemed like a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I, I like. Also, what, oh, I was I also just gonna say. Her, go ahead. <laughs> I like what you said about the magic of Monica Potter because I did think that that was just beautifully delivered. You know, it was just it was one of those moments where I'm reminded why I love her so much. It's right. just. Yeah, yeah. There's there's certainly so many more moments to come that we know of, but it's just our first sort of grounding in one of those big moments for her. And like, like Caleb was saying, it like only takes one line, you know? I also thought the way that she said was my dad was nothing like, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but I thought that was a subtle indication that he was not living. Now, I suppose it could just be she's talking about when she was 15, when when he found out that she had a boyfriend. I took it it that way, too. He was nothing. So you took it as? As him not living. Okay. Melissa? Uh, Honestly, I didn't even note that she used the past tense. But now that you say that, yeah, I would think that probably means he's not living. Interesting. The clues clues are accumulating. (laughs) I also, a very small thing in that scene, I loved that I thought Christina very subtly acknowledged Hattie's sexuality, Mm. you know, because she's talking about Adam and his like protectiveness as a father. And she says he can't help himself just like you can't help yourself. And she gives a little glance down to Hattie when she says that. (laughs) And to me, it felt like her saying, you know, you have urges around Steve, around this guy, around boys in general. Around Yo-Yo. Around Yo-Yo. (laughs) <laughs> that you are in a way helpless to resist. Like it's just natural. Mm. I like that because I feel like teenage boys in a way get a pass for like wanting to have sex in a way that girls don't. And that like the classic kind of stereotype is the teenage boyfriend who's just trying to like conquer this mm. impenetrable teenage girl who doesn't want sex at all and like that's his goal and we should be rooting for him it's like um teenage girls want sex too yeah and sometimes teenage boys want a loving relationship you know yeah good point so it goes both ways Yeah. yeah and that like also shows in that sort of back and forth that they have in that moment where uh she says something like I hope he's good to you. And she so naively, but childishly says, he is, he is, you know, with this this face of just pure gold. And her mom gives it back to her. And she she does seem genuinely so excited and happy that she is so happy. Yeah, yeah. I remember that she she repeats it. She says, oh, he is, you know, and yeah, you can tell she's yeah. just so happy. Oh, that was beautiful. Well, I loved almost everything about that scene. And if there was something I didn't, and it was maybe something that kind of the whole episode has a little bit of, and again, maybe it's just me not being a parent, but I never really love that sort of old cliche about fathers being super protective of their daughters and real uncomfortable at 
any sign that they might be dating. And maybe I'm just being naive and like that's what dads are like across the board. But it, I don't know. It was almost borderline creepy to me at times that that he was just like, oh, this is impossible. You know, when Sarah was like, of course she has a boyfriend. She's 15. She's cute. What's the problem? I was. That's how I felt. I was like, chill out, you know, and, and I feel the same way when it's like mothers and sons. I, I, I think it's real weird when people are like, no one's going to ever be good enough for my little girl or my little boy. I'm like, you don't want your little one to grow up and find love? Like, I don't know, maybe I just, I always find that a little strange that sometimes parental love almost crosses over into this, like, like ownership. In a, ownership. Almost. Yeah. This very yeah. patriarchal. Yeah. Like I'm waiting by the door with a gun, you know, like, like chill out, like just meet the guy and, and talk to your daughter. And, you know, the whole purpose is for us to grow up and, and, mature and and find love or have relationships maybe get hurt but i i just think that i i'm not a fan of that whole thing i find it a bit icky and i love adam so i didn't want to find him icky so i don't know that was my yeah, one quibble, I, wonder, I guess i i too like wonder if that has been perpetuated or whether or not that was or if there maybe there's a pressure on fathers mm. too to also feel like they have to fill that like that's a mm. that's an emotion that they have to carry in those moments rather than being too soft on it and being encouraging of it i would be curious to know i'll ask my brother-in-law the only thing that that sparks in my mind like thinking about my own father who is parent to two daughters i remember once asking him is there anything that your kids could have been into that you would have actually disapproved of mm. and said like no you're not going to do that and his answer was if your sisters wanted to join the military huh. and i thought really hmm, and wow. he said to me it just seems like an invitation to sexual abuse whoa and it it was it took such a sudden dark turn that I was kind of surprised by that. And I remember once we went and saw that Jennifer Lopez movie Cell, which oh, was I, saw that. I think largely hadn't like a girl been kidnapped and was being abused. Yeah. And I remember my dad saying he, he really found it disturbing. He's like, well, as a father of daughters, I, that was not entertaining to me. But to me, I, I've never seen any indication that my dad had like an ownership of his daughter's sexuality. Those seemed more like revealing that he was aware of some of the dangers that are kind of more unique to females in our mm -hmm. culture. Yeah, just women in general. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, of course you might be uh, fearful of mm -hmm. that. Also, I have to add... Just in case he's listening to this, I feel like had either of my sisters expressed interest in like serving in the military, I suspect he would have respected it. Nevertheless, that was his answer in the hypothetical. I think it would have really scared him. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's really interesting and a good point because, you know, you can be as progressive as, as you want to be and believe that men and women are equal as I do. But yeah, certain things are a reality. Like I have no problem going for a late night walk. If I'm with my husband, I probably wouldn't do that if I were by myself. And that's not how it should be. But that's how it is. So how do you reconcile wanting to protect a woman from getting, you know, how does it, how do you 
how do I put this? <laughs> but how do you uh, find that balance, I guess, between wanting to protect someone, but also not overreacting if they want to go on a date with someone who's probably perfectly nice, you mm. know, and, and I think it can be so dangerous. And it just perpetuates the stereotypes to assume that every boy only wants sex. And, you know, that, that it is this battle or contest, you know, like, that's all they have on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and perhaps it should be noted that when Adam and Christina meet Steve's parents, his communication with his parents seems to be like A+. plus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which understandably is embarrassing to Adam and Christina. I get that. But also it, it maybe it's like, why is this teenage boy having such an easier time being open with his relationships than this teenage girl? And is it because Adam has been putting this pressure on her? Maybe unknowingly, but you know, she clearly seemed to think this was not something that she should tell her parents about. It's a good point. Also interesting to contrast Adam and Christina's attitude towards yes. their daughter's yes. kind of relationship and everyone's attitudes towards drew Mm. (laughs) which you know is maybe not as serious but and even then it's like i found that almost an idiot plot as well because the conflict is presented as he's wasting water (laughs) tell him to take shorter showers like we're in a drought drew you can't shower this much you don't have to mention masturbation at all. <laughs> Do you know no, what I mean? Well, I would say someone just tell him you don't have to take a shower every time you want to jerk off. <laughs> I, I don't understand. It's like, boom, the, the problem is solved. There's nothing wrong. Like, you know, like when Zeke has that big, long talk with him at the end. Hey, Drew. Come in. Hey, no, no, no. I'm still in here. No, kiddo. We need to talk about some water conservation. Yeah. Now? I don't... Well, you know, your uncles had the same problem. Adam was the worst. I think he was going to set some kind of record. I almost called Guinness. Can we just not right now? When it comes to testosterone, the Braverman men are blessed with an abundance of riches, son. Grandpa. Pride. Pride and glory is what you should be feeling, son, at the bounty of the Braverman libido. You know what libido is? Oh, my God. Please. Not right now. But uh, even a braver nay, especially a braver man, needs to learn to control these gifts. Now, what I'm talking about here is moderation. I mean, holy sakes. Hell, I remember what it was like. I was on R&R in Bangkok, you know, and of course I went a little nuts. Uh, like, okay, and it's certainly funny, but to me it seemed like who cares if he's masturbating like seven times a day? Let him. Just don't take a shower each time you do it because that's wasting water. Are they upset with how much he's masturbating or are they upset with how much water he's wasting? It seemed to me like the episode was saying the water was the issue. Okay, then address it. Right. It seemed like, oh, we need to fix problem A, so let's go with solution B. I'm like, no, go with solution A. Are you all idiots? <laughs> Well, (laughs) that's, you know, that's so interesting because I just thought they could get around it by not mentioning it at all. Not because I think it's shameful or anything like that, but I just, because obviously Drew was embarrassed each time someone tried to talk to him about it. So I thought 
couldn't they just approach it by saying, you know, you really shouldn't take such long showers. But maybe you're right. I mean, maybe they do have to actually address the reason he's in there. Like maybe, maybe that's important. I don't know. I just, is that a talk that you need to have? I'm curious. What do you guys think? Do you, do you need to like talk to a kid about how much they masturbate and remind them that it's natural? He doesn't seem to be curious about whether it's natural. He seems fine, you know? So I just, again, I just think the issue of that and the showering needs to be divorced. <laughs> divorced. I, beyond that, I don't know that you need to have a conversation with him about masturbating. Just don't do it only in the shower. Hmm. Eric, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Parenthood Pals. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the one thing that's sort of refreshing about this is that I don't think that we've seen a show tackle it in this way. And it is that's one true. of the very, the redeeming thing about parenthood is that they continue to tackle certain storylines that you might at first assume I've seen this before. Mm. We've done this before in another show in the same way. And then it sort of takes a turn or it takes sort of like a, a very honest edge. And I think that is what's starting here too, is just something that's very different in the way that they approach it. And as we know, like, the, the family is very forward at times with each other. So it's <laughs> it's perhaps a, a nice introduction into what's to come and in how they sort of invade each other's spaces, you know? Well, and I love how comfortable Amber is making jokes, like when she asks to use the shower in the guest house. Yo, yo, can I shower in here? The masturbatorium is occupied. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fantastic. <laughs> also, Melissa, as you pointed out to me before the podcast began, there's a lot of yo, 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 yo in this episode, mostly mm -hmm. making fun of Steve. But that scene begins with Amber and Sarah saying yo to yo. each other. That's like a greeting. <laughs> yo, yo. I wonder nice if that was just... a <laughs> nice facet of their relationship. Yeah. Well, the other big story of this episode is Joel and Julia seeking a babysitter. And at first they want Hattie mm. and Hattie can't do it. So Sarah suggests Amber and they're like, uh, uh, oh, uh, I guess that would work. I had an interesting thought, though, about, well, interesting. You be the judge. But I had <laughs> a thought about that scene, which was just how much interaction, I wonder, had Sarah's family had with the rest of the family before they moved to Berkeley. Because, I mean, aside from Amber's kind of iffy reputation, <laughs> you, maybe they just don't know her very well. Hattie has, they've probably known her since she was born. Mm. She's grown up like right alongside them. I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with their reputation that they might have more trust in her just because they know her. Amber's lived there for like a month. That's a good point. But I don't know, I couldn't help but notice that when Sarah suggests Amber, the camera pans to Amber <laughs> and it looks worse than it is, but she looks like she's like passed out, hungover or something. Like it's just yeah. the funniest clip. It's like, what about Amber? And it clips to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. She's wearing <laughs> all great. black did, and she's. <laughs> I did notice that too. It's like, it's like the editing was landing a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, good yeah. for them. Yeah, it was really good. But. I don't know. I, I did think that they were probably being unreasonable to cancel on Amber. Like, 
she's their relative, same as as Hattie, and give her a shot. What do they think's going to happen? But I don't know. Again, I don't have children, so maybe it's real easy for me to say, yeah, anyone could babysit my hypothetical kids. Um, <laughs> but did you guys think that they were being ridiculous, or did you think they were just being protective? I don't know. I'm sidetracked by what you just said. It makes me think of one of my sister's who has very different standards, I think, for babysitters than my brother-in-law. Ah. She, I don't want to undersell her as a parent, but I think she's way more trusting (laughs) about who she (laughs) leaves the kids with, whereas my brother-in-law is like, well, do they have a degree in early childhood development? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, um, I don't know. (laughs) They've got three kids of their own. <laughs> also, she's a stay-at-home parent, and he's a working parent. I wonder if that factors into it, too. She, when wants, she wants to be away. She's like, I don't care who they go with. Just get me out of here. <laughs> but it's funny. Um, I, I don't know if I thought they were overreacting or not. I think if they had an actual concern, they wouldn't have let her babysit. So I feel like maybe that's a clue that their concerns were not that grave mm. to begin with. Yeah. Well, once Amber gets there, we do see how they are as parents. You know, they're like, they take forever to leave. It's a comical list of of numbers that Julia leaves. You know, like I paused on the TV just to look at that. And it was like Crosby's home, Crosby's cell, Christina's home, Christina's cell. Like everyone, poison control was the last one, you know, and Amber's like, all right. I paused on that too. Did you notice that the list showed Grandpa and Grandma Graham, home and cell. So Joel has parents? What? Why don't they ever go see them? And their 510 numbers, which is the East Bay area code. So they apparently oh. live close. What? Yeah. I just... You know, we were looking for in-law clues. I feel like that's the first, you know, the first Graham clue. I Sometimes I feel bad for, like, Christina and Joel, like... They'll just have some hint of a life outside their marriage, and then it's just fades into the background. And they. Just- I also noticed even subtler: the Bravermans were Grandpa with an mm. M, and the Grams were Grandpa, <laughs> a little more stodgier. It's like, oh, is this a clue that the Grams are very buttoned up, and the Bravermans are just crazy? <laughs> I, that is some good detective work. Anyway, as you said, I loved that moment where um, Amber asked Sydney. Are they always like that? Always. So like Sydney's on the in on the joke too. Yeah, yeah. parents are always. nuts. Yeah. Um. By the way, I've been really impressed with is it Savannah Page Ray. Is that who plays Sydney? Yeah. I'm trying to learn all the kids' names. She's good. Like she, her comic effect is pretty spot on. I don't know. I just feel like I haven't given a shout out to her yet. And I was very impressed by her. Like the way she delivered that was like hilarious. And then later when they're making the little paper turtles and Sarah's there and Sarah's like, do you know who taught her that? She's like, Amber said that you did or something like that. And it's just very sincere and earnest. And I thought that's some good acting child. Like (laughs) nicely done. I don't know. I took the exact same note. Oh, you did? I thought you were going to say the exact opposite note, but okay, I the put, same. Shout out to Savannah Page Ray. She's subtly great in this scene too. I feel like she matches the emotional tone of a scene that isn't about her without feeling like one of those child actors who just like mimics a line reading that someone gave them. Yeah. And she's not like overly cute and she's not overly sentimental. 
but clearly like Amber and Sarah are having a moment and I feel like the tone she strikes slides right in without like being intrusive. Yeah, I just thought it was great. And you're right, her comedy was good earlier too. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> I thought similarly to when Sarah goes to speak to the principal, when she has this conversation with Julia, it struck me that she was talking about herself as much as she was about Amber. She was really disappointed. She was? She thinks that you don't think she's responsible or capable. She didn't sound disappointed when I... She was. she was really disappointed because, you know, back in Fresno, she was a really popular babysitter. Everybody called her. She was the go-to girl. I did not know that. Well, now you do. Sarah. Sorry. Don't apologize to me. Yeah, that de- that line delivery really got me, that don't apologize to me. And it's striking me how I think everyone is simultaneously kind of overreacting, and yet it's exactly what I would do. Like, if, <laughs> you know, if, if uh, I would take that personally, I th- I'm pretty sure. Even without having kids, I'm sure that I would see them as an extension of myself. And if my sister canceled, I would feel so hurt. And like you were saying something about me and the way I raised her, you know, and... and I think that Sarah is probably reading into it more than Julia intended, but on the other hand, how could she not? Well, and also like she felt like it was a victory. Sarah felt like it was a victory for her, right? To get Amber to do this. It was going to be maybe the first time that we saw Sarah get a point with the family Mm. of like, I'm back. We're useful. We're good people. I raised them well, practically on my own. It was going to be the first opportunity of like, we deserve to be here and we deserve to be respected. And then we get a cancellation and it's like, there's a, there's a hint of suspicious activity as to why, why it was canceled. Yeah, she wanted to prove that they're more than just masturbating and drug arrests. Yeah. Well, but also like... And teenage sex. This is a little bit of Sarah's fault too, right though? Because like she also in other scenes and other times has sort of complained about her kids and their behavior. And, you know, maybe, maybe some of that wore off on the rest of the family as well. That's true. The little jokes about how Amber's first word was no, or about how, wait, Amber told me the truth. That's the first time that's ever happened. Uh Yeah, you're right. Uh Lots of cases of that. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Well, and as we've discussed previously, Sarah certainly feels like she has a lot of judgment coming her way, like that there's this perception of her as a failure. She's maybe like hypersensitive about it. And in this scene at the end, first of all, I did take a note. Sarah sneaking around outside Joel and Julia's house is white privilege. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) But you're totally right. I even noticed that one of the people who was like, you know, like looking at her suspiciously was black. And and so I was like, well, that's interesting because if the tables were turned. Yeah. 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 If she were a black Harvard professor, she'd be arrested. Uh. (laughs) But Amber calls her on it. You lied to Aunt Julia. You said that I was upset because I couldn't babysit. Yeah, because I know you wanted the money. Really? Really? It had nothing to do with you trying to prove yourself to Aunt Julia? (laughs) What? 
Okay, that, that's enough. Just don't use me next time, okay? I'm sorry. Yeah, she just makes me feel a little insecure. A little? Yeah, a little, like, you know, uh, the world's worst mother and a complete failure at life, like that kind of little. <laughs> She's pretty honest about it. Yeah. I really, I, I think that Sarah is a fantastic mom. I feel like I just keep saying that over and over, but you know, she thinks she's such a failure, but man, to be that real and honest with, with your kid. I mean, I know at first she lies, but I think it's a real testament that Amber can tell she's lying and, you know, and also feels comfortable enough to call her on it. And it doesn't make them yell at each other or Amber say, or Sarah say like, you know, you don't talk to me like that. I'm the mother, you know, they're just, they relate to each other at a very real level that I admire that that takes work to cultivate something like that. I mean, and that Sarah says honestly to her daughter, she makes me feel like a bad mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's quite a vulnerable thing to admit. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was interesting to draw a little parallel to Crosby's story in this episode that in that scene, Sarah says that Julia makes her feel like a terrible mother. And then later we get this scene between Crosby and Julia. You were really great back there in the ER. Cross, this can be a big deal, okay? I'm not kidding. You're an amazing mom. I am? <laughs> yeah, like 100%. <sighs> Thanks. Thanks for calling, man. I would have thought you would have called Adam or Sarah first. Oh, those deadbeats? I mean, come on. And I just thought it was such a nice illustration of like, you never know what someone else is struggling with. You know, Sarah feels like a failure and she feels like a failure compared to Julia. But Julia feels like a failure, even though in so many ways she seems like she's got her whole life in order. She's this huge success. She feels like she's a bad mom a lot of the time. Right, right. And she even in that moment mentioned Sarah. Wouldn't you have called Sarah for advice? That's a really interesting thing. I I did take note that I was surprised Sarah said that Julia made her feel like a bad mom because I I could see feeling maybe insecure about like work, you know, because Sarah's a bartender and didn't get that job. And of course, Julia is so successful. And I thought it was interesting that that it was her feeling like a bad mom because, yeah, that's Julia's insecurity right there. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really believable. I don't know how many times I've been jealous of somebody who it turns out was jealous of me as well. And and I think that's often how it goes. You know, we just think these things are one sided, but often they're not. There are different reasons to admire people and to feel insecure about ourselves. And it, it, we're so complex, you know, we're, we're so there's so much going on and two things can be true at once. And, and it's a testament also to I think this happens as well, and I I would guess that my sister would would agree that as parents, at times there's a pressure of in order to be a good parent, it means doing something above and beyond just protecting them, keeping them safe, making sure that they're polite and good people and whatnot. It means something bigger than that. It's like something that's that's invisible that they're always chasing. And what we learn in this scene, you know, with her help with Jabbar, is that she does something so tactical, right? It's like, it's so small to her and so minute, but it is that type of thing that makes people think, wow, what a great mom, you know, what a great dad. 
and she sort of comes to that realization when when Crosby, who is so new to this, is like, yeah, that small little thing, that's amazing. That makes you an amazing mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sweet. And when it's so nice to see how much it clearly affected Julia to hear that. And mm-hmm. I think especially after another run-in with Raquel, who clearly makes her feel like a bad mom. Also, we find out Raquel has a husband. I was shocked. I did not remember that. (laughs) I didn't remember that either. And in fact, when I mentioned in the previous episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, when Joel says she's a great mom, considering, I feel like I had some vague memory in my mind that like she was a widow or something. And so now (laughs) she was like raising this kid all by herself. And that's why Joel said, considering like, oh, considering all she's been through. No, she just has a really rich, successful husband. Anyway, but after another (laughs) run-in with Raquel, it just took this one little acknowledgement from her brother to clearly make Julia feel so much better. And I thought that was, like, it revealed that all along her issue hasn't necessarily been with Raquel, actually. It's been with what Raquel activates in her. Mm -hmm. Like, I probably should have realized that already, but... um, Yeah, it was just like that one voice to contradict the voice that Raquel awoke in her. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Can we talk about the look that Crosby gives her when he says, my son? Yeah. yeah. Just. And the look she gives back. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell that it carries a lot of weight for him to reveal this to her, but also that he's just so relieved to also tell her. And I also get a sense that Dax Shepard is also sort of giving us a momentum of that he's a little bit proud Mm. to say it too, which is crazy. Like all all in, in such a small little bite, we get this revealing to her this big thing, the relief of her being there and him, you know, acknowledging that his sister has come to the rescue as a mom, you know, and also just that he is starting to get a sense of like what it's like to say it to other people and that he might actually like it. That's so perceptive that I love that. Yeah, I didn't know what to say about that scene. And I think you just verbalized how I felt when I watched that because I was very moved. And well, it's uh, sort of yeah. like that Christina moment because, like, if you were to just look on the page, it probably just says, He's my son. Yeah. Which is such a <laughs> declarative, <laughs> direct thing. Yeah. But then you, you factor in all that Dax Shepard, like, imbues that with, and it's, it really is quite affecting. And yeah. then contrast it with, like, in the previous episode, he lies about who he is to Katie yeah. Oh, yeah. and he apologizes to Jabbar and just mm-hmm. said that he got scared. Mm-hmm. And now he's faced with this same moment, someone asking him, who is this? Mm-hmm. And he tells the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also liked that Julia quite believably asks some very logical, direct questions. Like, are you sure that he's yours? Which I know we had discussed, like, should he get a paternity test? And she she quite wisely points out that's like there's some very real financial responsibilities, legal responsibilities that Crosby has if he is in fact his father. And it seems like she would come down on the side of you need to be a hundred percent sure. Yeah. yeah. That's so lawyer sister. <laughs> it is so yeah, you're totally right. I like 
sometimes go through this with my sister because she's a lawyer and she will she will ask things like that or say same things like that and it's always in those moments when like i don't want to ask those questions or i don't you know i don't want to sort of stir the pot and she's giving me this well you need to you need to ask about the legal implications of this and it's like uh do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true because I was just listening to us. Is that tacky? I don't know. But I was listening to us talk about that. And I was like, oh, I hope I didn't sound too harsh when I said he probably should have, you know, a, a paternity test because I didn't want that to reflect poorly on Jasmine or like, you know, but I just thought anyone, if someone shows up five years later, you should probably just err on the side of caution and but yeah yeah, of course Crosby doesn't want to think about that he's falling in love with his son like you know like who has time for all that let's just be emotional in the moment and have these beautiful bonding you know moments and I don't know well and speaking of Jasmine we're now four episodes into the series and she still is kind of just serving as like the Jabbar delivery girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, starting in this episode, I, I noticed like I'm really eager to learn more about her and who she is. And yeah. And also when she came back at the end of this and she asks what happened to Jabbar's thumb, it occurred to me that him lying about it seems really pointless doesn't reflect badly on Crosby. It's like he stuck his finger in a can. Was Crosby supposed to prevent that? It seems like Crosby did exactly the like right thing. I thought Crosby's putting it under soap and water and trying to get it off that way. I was like, that seems totally reasonable. And then once there's blood, maybe it's even overly cautious to go to the emergency room. But better that than underly cautious. <laughs> And then he, you know, called someone he trusted. They got it off. He's fine. It's like, what are you embarrassed about? Mm -hmm. Fishing injury almost seems worse. I didn't get that either. I I was like, that did just feel like maybe it was meant to be a bonding moment. Like, you know, the boys had their secret weekend and, you know. She was touched when she heard about it. She's like, oh. Well, and at the beginning of the episode, he was joking with her, and I thought it was really funny and charming that he was like, um, no girls allowed, ew, like as she's leaving, you know, it's like, just boy time now. So maybe it's supposed to just be like this, this secret between them, but I'm also like, that's not actually what parents should do. Like, you should probably just tell her what really happened because it was so inconsequential, but whatever. Yeah, it was a small thing, but it, I, I noticed that too. I liked that at the beginning of their little boy hangout, we see Crosby squirting uh, lighter fluid on the mm. grill and making the flames flare up. And then at the end of the episode, you see Zeke doing that. Yes. It's like, ah, yeah. nice little connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cute. Before, uh, this is a total tangent now at this point, but <laughs> as we've been t- talking about in-laws in this episode... I thought Joel gave us another nice little peek into the in-laws perspective. (laughs) Wait, so now we trust Amber. She is a very experienced babysitter. (laughs) Says your sister. I trust my sister. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I forgot the cardinal rule. Only a braverman can criticize another braverman. Yeah, he does pipe up every now and then with these pearls of wisdom about, you know, the bravermans are so cocky. That was last episode. Yeah, He seems very perceptive. Yeah, he's the Greek chorus. Um, (laughs) So Um, I noticed there's no Jim in this episode. 
Last episode ended with Sarah getting back together with Jim, presumably, and then he's just not mentioned or seen. But beyond that, also not seen in this episode, Camille. Oh. Hmm. Where is she? Is it weird that I noticed Jim was not in the episode, but I did not notice Camille wasn't? That's bad. Yes. (laughs) Well, I didn't have any questions, lingering questions about Camille, you know. That's Um, fair. But like with Jim, okay, he's in the pilot. And it ends really with with Sarah saying to her siblings, I warmed to him, which indicates to me that maybe she likes him a little bit, Um, even more so than sleeping with him, because she could probably sleep with somebody she didn't like. But to say I warmed to him. okay, whatever. Then he's not in the second episode. Then in the third episode, it opens really with her breaking up with him and then going over to his house and him inviting her in. Like what? are they doing? Like, I don't even mean Sarah and Jim. I mean, the writers, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, like, what is the point of this character? I have literally no idea. I'm like, why are we spending time with this? If it's so scattershot? I don't know. I just agree. I have nothing really to add. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not as frustrated as I sound, but... Is it also this episode that starts with Crosby asking Jabbar what type of pizza he wants? Yeah. yeah. But he's lactose intolerant. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Good catch. Good catch. I don't know. I mean, in maybe they'll get dairy free pizza. I'm sure they've got that in Berkeley. Dairy-free. I mean, in yeah. 2010, they probably had it. <laughs> probably. But still, good point. Yeah. Or cheeseless pizza. Yeah. yeah. And I think we all know he how says, delicious like, pepperoni that or, but... He says, like, cheese or pepperoni. Yeah. The thing yeah. that's going to. Mess up your stomach. I also do think it's cute the way Jabbar says pepperoni and then Cosby says it too. I feel like they said it exactly the same. I continue to think they are (laughs) super believable as father and son. Yeah, they're real cute. So cute. Yeah, but you're totally right about Jasmine just being the drop-off girl. Ever since you said that, I haven't been able to get it out of my head. Give her a storyline. You know, give her something to do. She's a regular, unlike Tyree Brown. Yeah, have you Who noticed I noticed that? not only is he not in the opening credits, he's not even listed among like the guest cast. You know, they have the opening credits and then they come back and they put names up on the thing. He's relegated to the end of the episode. Along with people like Harmony. Yeah, and I feel like I don't know all the like union rules and whatnot, but I thought that people whose names wait until the end are the people who are like under five, who have like under five lines mm. of dialogue. And it's like, well, Jabbar has more than five lines of dialogue. Yeah. Why is he not a guest star? I don't know. He should just be in the opening credits. I don't get it. Yeah. We're big Tyree Brown fans. Give yeah. him his due. That's right. I wonder how old is he now? Is he like 16 years old? I did look up his IMDb. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. He looks like a grown up Jabbar. <laughs> Whoa. Mm. He does That's like so a weird. lot of like uh, voiceover work. Really? He was the voice for somebody in Frozen. Yeah, like young Young Kristoff. Kristoff, yeah, yeah. What? Really? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I wouldn't recognize it because he's got like an adult voice now. (laughs) Probably, yeah. I don't know why that Although young Kristoff, that movie came out in 2013 and so he recorded the voice like even years before that. Uh Uh-huh. Good point. Huh. So it's probably, it probably sounds exactly like Jabbar. Okay. As you remember him. <sighs> Frozen, Frozen watch <Wanda>. party. <laughs> Ice? 
This episode ends with, I would say, like a mini montage. It doesn't feel as like full-fledged as some of the montages we've had, but there is still like a song and a sequence edited together. And the world's longest handshake. Did anyone else notice that? <laughs> that when Adam and Steve meet each other, it's like uncomfortably long because they're shaking hands and then we get every single person in the backyard's reaction. And, yeah. then, and then we come back and they're still holding hands and Adam's like, what's up? Yes. And yeah. like looks at him for 10 years. I don't know. It was, <laughs> but it was very effective. I actually love that scene. I was just slightly taken out of it by how long they must be pausing for effects and everyone's reactions. Yeah, that yeah. scene for being for being the title of the episode and sort of capping this thing, the timing of it is very, very odd. It feels very odd. But then but then I got this question in my mind of like, did they want us to feel that? because that is an awkward thing for him to do. Did they want us to feel that awkward feeling <laughs> of the family looking on as the dad meets the boyfriend for the first time? Because that is cer certainly sort of what comes over you. is like, oh my gosh, get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That's probably it. Well, and I'm also like, okay, even though it's taking forever, maybe it's not even taking forever because those reactions would be happening while they're shaking hands. Sure. It's just, you Simultaneously. Know. Yeah. Simultaneously, as the Brits say. <laughs> also, and Hattie's, Hattie's reaction was priceless. Uh, if you look at her face in that scene, it's just like, ugh, I knew you were going to do this, you dweeb. Yeah. I think Sarah Ramos, or Ramos, which, which Ramos. is it? Ramos. She is so good at playing a teenager. And I think she was a teenager. Like I looked that up too. She was 18 during season one. That's very mm -hmm. cool. They do a good job of like casting people who seem like close to the right age instead of, you know, 27. Yeah, she doesn't playing. feel 25. Yeah. Um, but she In really, a good way. yeah, yeah. Um, but I just, she is really, really good. Like when she's overreacting, it's just enough to be funny, but it's still completely believable. Teenagers can be dramatic. I am a high school teacher, so I witness this sometimes. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I was like that when I was a teenager. But I just think, I don't know, I think she's really nuanced a lot of the time, but I think she's also knows when to when to get that laugh I just really have been appreciating her a lot and uh, I just doing a podcast I just feel like I'm paying much more attention than I ever have before to like every line every performance and she's just great I also loved in that last scene when Sarah and Julia are making faces at each other it just seems like such Brilliant. a nice little yeah. punctuation <laughs> mark at the end of their story for that episode that there's yeah. so much love there and there's like they have their own little sibling world. <laughs> well, I was thinking like, I don't, as I was watching back on this episode, I was thinking to myself, I don't remember them, uh, the siblings being at odds with each other as much as they are in these first few episodes, you know, later, later in the show. And so it was kind of fun to see that they were already alluding to the fact that like these siblings certainly have have their moments where they disagree with each other, but they are, they're also super close and they know, they know how to sort of smooth it over when they know that it was a petty thing that they were hung up on. Well, and I think the show is also so good at, yeah, resolving moments in ways that don't feel cheesy, like just having them make faces at each other instead of a big 
tearful. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was insecure. You yeah. know, like that's, the, like, that's so great. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, I just saved your little girl from burning. Yeah. Suck it, sis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then to cut, you know, even though like, even that, like them making those faces at each other is sweet, funny, not too sentimental, but even if it were too sentimental, it is immediately followed by like, it pans to Amber. Who's like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> and that like <laughs> takes it down even more to this great level. It just, I, I love it. The show keeps doing these really hilarious things. And yeah, I love it. In assessing this episode as a whole, one thing I noted, it's not really so much a theme, but this episode felt like there was a lot of cross-pollination between families, where it's like the last few episodes, it felt a little bit like each family's mm -hmm. issues were kind of mm -hmm. contained to their own. But in this, you've got Adam talking to Drew. You've got Joel and Julia hiring Amber. You've got Crosby helping Adam and Christina <laughs> hack into Hattie's computer. You've got Julia learning about Jabbar. It's like yeah. a lot of siblings interacting with each other's children. Sarah and Sydney with the turtles, like all these crossed wires. Yeah, That's so nice. That was yeah. nice to see that blend starting to happen. In terms of themes, I was wondering if there was one. And um, here's what I got. Okay. It's, a little, it's maybe a, either a little reaching or a little painfully obvious, but... Um, that this episode might have been about parents challenging their perceptions of their children or maybe of other family members, but like Julia and Joel's perception of Amber, Adam and Christina's perception of Hattie, Julia's perception of herself, and maybe of Sarah's parenting, hmm. and then Hattie's perception of Adam. And then I was like, maybe Drew fits in there somehow. <laughs> Everyone's perception of this little <laughs> masturbating 14-year-old. That See, that's good because all I came up with was uh, the idea of privacy. Like, to what, to what degree are teenagers allowed to be independent, you know, um, have relationships <laughs> with someone else or with yourself? Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, to what degree are parents meant to interfere or to what degree are they meant to give space. Uh, but that really only applies, I guess, to um, Hattie and, and Drew's storylines. So maybe that's not enough to be an entire theme. I don't know. Um, what about you, Eric? Did you have any final impressions of this particular episode or anything that you wanted to say that we haven't said? I wonder if the theme for me that I was thinking about was maybe prejudging either your kids or your siblings a little too early. Mm. The theme is maybe that you are making assumptions before letting letting things play out on their own. Because we, we've had this talk, obviously, about Drew's masturbation. <laughs> you know, uh, Amber should have been given the, the chance to just babysit, right, and do her thing. The judgment between the siblings, such as Sarah's assumption that, that Julia is making this decision based on her parenting or based on some other factor. Obviously, Christina and Adam judging why or why not Hattie didn't, did or did not tell them about Steve. It's like this, this theme of making assumptions about why someone did or did not do something before just going to them. Yeah. That's a really good point. 
And even like when you were listing those examples, which were all really good, even Sarah, who's like desperate for Amber to babysit, doesn't trust Amber to babysit. You know, she yeah. goes over there to check up on her. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, that it does make me wonder. Do you think Amber really was a go-to babysitter in Fresno? Oh, no. I think that's a lie. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) She was too busy sleeping with Damien. (laughs) Damien. It's too on the nose. (laughs) But you can um, like us on Facebook, Parenthood Pals, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Parenthood Pals. You can also find us at our website at parenthoodpals.com. And Eric, where can listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram uh, at Eric, E-R-I-C-L-K-O-M-O, Eric L. Como. Yeah, and Aaron and I also uh, run a blog called thecomos.com um, that we've started in, in quarantine and yeah, it's a fun little lifestyle blog. And yeah, maybe we need to do more about TV. I don't think we've, we've <laughs> done, I don't think we've done much on, on TV, but I do this uh, little snippet called Add to Library, which talks about a specific song and goes into detail about the writers and the producers and things like that. So maybe we need to do something similar with TV. I love that. I also love some of your entries on there about family. There's some good ones. Like when you had both of your moms write a blog about having gay sons married to one another. That was a particularly good one, I thought. Yeah, our moms are very proud that uh, that blog, as well as Aaron's mom's blog about your children being at home during this time and how how to teach them or how to sort of interact with them when you're at home and you maybe are trying to do a, a your regular daytime job and you're trying to manage it all. Those two blogs are our most viewed and most clicked and most uh, loved part of the blog. So our moms oh. are very happy about that. That's really great. I, I loved that too. I Just the whole thing made my heart really happy thank you thanks (laughs) well thanks for joining us eric oh this was so fun i can't wait to listen to more and also just to ride this wave of parenthood with you again i can't wait to to watch it again hooray (sighs) and i loved having you on here thank you you had such great insights it was really fascinating thank you and thank you all for listening until next time May God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.